Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. Tailgating. Tailgates. Yeah, tailgating's always a blast. Yeah! It's time to start your Raider football day with the morning tailgate with your host, Clay Baker, on Raider Nation Radio. Welcome back here on the Funk Tuesday third hour here. Thanks for joining us, Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, and you here on R&R 920 AM. Uh, we got a lot to get into with this third hour. Marcus Johnson will join us at 930 with some uh, footage from Tape Don't Lie, and we'll continue to get your thoughts here on the text line 69187 from Sam and Ash, and all brought to you by Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Joining us now as we go behind enemy lines with Benjamin Albright, the great host, reporter, and analyst with the Broncos flagship KOA in Denver. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us. It's great having you on. I got to ask you, though, you got to admit it. How concerned were you, though, on Sunday night? when Tampa Bay got up one nothing on the abs in game six and everything was on the line. Well, I'm not, you know, fairly concerned, especially because the abs had been a first-period team and Tampa had been a second-period yeah. team. Uh, so, yeah, I was, was a little bit concerned, but, uh, you know, the abs turned it around in the second period, a bit of a reversal, and uh, I think by the end of the second period, confidence had really started to rise here in Denver. Not a bad year for the Cronkies, uh, by the way. Um, <laughs> calendar year for the Cronkies. So um, uh, congratulations to the Avalanche uh, for winning the Stanley Cup uh, championship. Uh, ben, before we get to the Raiders uh, and the Broncos, and I think that's going to be a storyline that uh, that just keeps on giving uh, throughout the course of the season. I'm an- anticipating uh, a lot of great storylines coming out of those two teams and in, in this division in general. Uh, but, you know, we see a lot of players uh, that are still available in free agency. Some pretty, some pretty decent names. Uh, some pretty good talent that's still available. I would imagine that's all going to get squared away uh, here relatively soon. Um, but uh, wh- wh- why do you think uh, there's there's players that are still out there that could probably help teams right now? Uh, some of it is, is injury rehab. Guys want to come in, get a clean bill of health before they sign a, a deal, or teams want the guys to have a clean bill of health before they sign a deal. Some of it is just veterans avoiding training camp. Okay. You know, they've been doing it for a long time. They don't want to get in there and do all that. Um, I, you know, it, it varies from player to player, team to team, that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I really do think that there is a, uh, right now still kind of a market resettling based on the uh, the salary cap cratering for COVID and then coming back and then bouncing back with the broadcast rights. And so there are some guys that don't feel like they got their uh, their fair number in terms of offers, and they're trying to hold out, wait for injuries, and see if they can get that bigger number. I'm speaking with Ben Albright here from uh, the KOA Denver Broncos flagship. All right, we got to ask you if, if the realistic expectations now, uh, because you got to consider that the Broncos have, have gone through double digit losses for the last five seasons, but this time it's it's different. You got to like a, a almost like a clean slate, and also with Russell Wilson. But it seems as though that this real framework and foundation of this team is still intact. So just having some extra momentum, I would have to think like the expectations are probably preceding what. Uh, what we would normally think in this year had Drew Locke still been with this team and Fangio uh, coaching it from the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, uh, here locally expectations are playoffs or bust. Um, You know, I'm not exactly sure what the the national perception is per se. I think it's a little different depending on who you ask, but I think locally it's playoffs or bust. It's tough when you look at the, um, 
when you look at the division as a whole, I mean, this has to be the toughest division in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but there's there are some there are some cracks in it. I think a little bit behind the scenes. Kansas City reloading on defense. The Chargers always seem to want a Chargers. So uh, I don't know if the division is invincible <laughs> per se, but there's going to be a little bit of cannibalization going on this year. Ben, um, we've seen uh, Russell Wilson out and about in Denver. I saw him at a, uh, a Colorado Avalanche game. Uh, no, no surprise to me that he's trying to get acclimated uh, to his new community uh, and will successfully do that. He's just that type of guy. Uh, but what's been um, the level of acceptance and embracing uh, uh, from, from the fans' perspective and the market's perspective to Russell Wilson? I think it's been pretty high. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Russ has made a concerted effort to ingratiate himself into the community. You know, all the charity appearances, you know, talk about going to the games and stuff like that, um, doing all those kinds of things. Now, the next two weeks, he's going to be in Europe as a, as a brand ambassador. But uh, he's, he's been out there, boots on the ground, kind of trying to ingratiate himself into the community and get hit the ground running. And uh, I, I think that's gone over very well with the Denver Fate. Russ, Russ, Russ's personality is different. You know, I mean, he's kind of, uh, uh, he's kind of a dork, if we're being honest, <laughs> you know, as, as, a, as a person, but uh, it, it works, you know, it's worked for him. Uh, it led to some, some conflict issues in that locker room in Seattle, but I think I think he kind of has the perfect setup here in Denver because Justin Simmons is really kind of the uh, the leader of that defense versus guys like the Legion of Boom. The Legion of Boom guys were kind of some guys that were some dogs, and, mm-hmm. and the Broncos' defense, while they play well, the defense is a little bit more soft-spoken off the field in the locker room, you know, kind of more laid back. Justin Simmons being the leader of that, you know how he is. So, uh, you know, I, I think Russ mesh, meshes well with the locker room, with the community, and, um, you know, I think he's, he's made a concerted effort to make sure that, uh, that he has ingratiated himself. Then how would you describe kind of like the philosophies of what Nathaniel Hackett wants to do after coming over with success in Green Bay? Uh, what what, do you, what would you find is like some some uh, stark differences and maybe something that uh, that really works well with what Russell needs to do? Well, in terms of the previous coaching staff, it's wildly different. Uh, there's a different energy. I mean, you stand next to Nathaniel Hackett, and you'd swear you just drank a Red Bull. Uh, the guy is, is just <laughs> so full of energy. Uh, I tell you, we were we were out there at the combine, and you know he was out there. Um, you know, he had uh, a couple of the other guys out there, Lafleur, um, uh, and some of the other guys out there talking. We shut Prime down, I think, at like four thirty in the morning. And I knew we had a spot with Hackett. We had to interview him at like eight a.m. So I'm crawling, trying to make it there on time, all this kind of stuff. I show up, and he comes through the curtain. He's like, "Ah, oh, you made it!" And he's just bouncing, you know, just, just so much energy all the time. And uh, he's out there running routes with the receivers, like like running right next to him, acting like a DB while they're <laughs> while they're running routes. And, uh, like it's a it. different energy, I'll say that. Um, whether that translates on the field remains to be seen, but it's, it's football certainly more fun around than it's been here the last couple of years with uh, uh, with old-school Vic Fangio. Uh, in terms of what you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see the Green Bay offense hardly at all. Um, I know they're, can, they're going to outside zone with the run game, but the, the passing skeleton doesn't look the same. It looks more like what Hackett ran when he was in Buffalo at Jacksonville, um, which is some more like up-tempo, West Coast kind of you know offense-type stuff. Um, you know, a little bit of the cake on those kinds of things. Okay. Uh, there's, they're, they're doing some interesting stuff. You're seeing a lot of two tight end. You're seeing a lot of gun two back, which is which is different than what you, I guess, you think. Certainly different than what Pat Shermer ran, which was three wide receivers and a tight end every time. 
Uh, yeah, I heard stories about that prime a night, by the way. Um, and, and by the way, if, if, uh, if Hackett thought he was going to outdo you, um, and, and, uh, and one of you guys wasn't going to show up the next day, uh, he was, uh, in for a, a rude awakening. I'm sure you won some points, uh, by showing up, uh, nice and spry the next morning. That's, that always does it. You, when, when you, when you show you can hang, um, and show up to work the next day, uh, that, that earns you instant respect. Not that I doubted you for a second, uh, Benjamin. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we've known each other a while, man. I managed to I managed to get that one in. That was after I judged the, who had the best hair contest between him, Mike McDaniel, and Matt Lafleur. Ooh, that's a tough one. Who who won? Yeah, who wins that one? Well, Lafleur is the three year yeah. champ, so he, he ended up rating. Uh, Hackett tried to enter with uh, with no hair, and uh, he was disqualified. Lafleur's got a good crop. There's no doubt about that. Um, and as somebody that uh, is more on the uh, Hackett side of things, uh, that's that's <laughs> I'm extremely extremely jealous. Um, Benjamin, obviously off the field, uh, a lot going on in Denver uh, as well as it relates to the Broncos. The sale um, is 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 churning through all the you know the necessities to uh, to get it to a safe place. Um, now, normally, I'm not quite sure how much fans really do care about ownership. Um, I would, I'm, I, I think people would be surprised how much they actually do because it can make the difference, all the difference in the world, really. Uh, what's been the reaction uh, to Walmart uh, purchasing uh, the Broncos in terms of the market there? Well, no truth to the rumor that the stadium's going to have greeters at every gate, <laughs> but uh, I think fans are, are cautiously optimistic that Rob Walton deep pockets will uh, will help the team in terms of. Uh, maybe not being cheap. That's sort of been a, and maybe a bit of a misnomer, but that's sort of been a perception over the last couple of years, uh, especially with John Elway when he was at the helm. And, um, you know, he kind of had some, uh, a bit of a penny pinching methodology to, to contract negotiations that oftentimes angered players. Uh, so there, there's a, there's an optimism there. I think there's uh, uh, a little bit of, you know, mostly positive, but a little bit of trepidation because uh, I think most people think, and, you know, there's, there's some, uh, some momentum towards, I guess is probably the best way to put it, uh, the, the, the Walton family buying some land and building a new stadium in a different part, in a different area, and no longer having it downtown. And uh, I think that's going to come to fruition long term. But right now, the fans, you know, kind of have a sentimental attachment to the stadium that's downtown. So um, I, I think that the Waltons, uh, I, I know the Waltons have purchased some land out there near the Denver airport. If you've ever flown into Denver, you oh, know the Denver God, airport no. is located in the middle of Kansas. Mm. But, uh, it's you know it's I, I think that that's the direction they're going to go in the next decade. Forget the greeters coming in. Are they going to check the receipts on the way out of the stadium? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, fans will be hoping they hoping they pull some W's with all that money. Yes, for sure. You know, I love the 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 defense itself, though it looks still very strong. And I, I would like I would have to think like you know what are the schemes going to be different like this year because Fangio uh, sometimes he would get a you know he would be maybe a little too blitz happy sometimes it would be a little too much predicated on, on, on building that rush alone but honestly the foundation in this for the front starters of the Broncos looks very very strong who do you think's making the next big leap this year off this team well that's that's interesting um, yeah let's start with the Fangio defense the Fangio defense is is was a 34 base with a with basically a cover four shell or middle of the field open. They ran some too deep, but mostly four deep. Um, and the the idea or the design behind it is to encourage you to run in what looks like a light box because it's a lower EPA play. So the Broncos could be run on quite a bit. You'll notice Brandon Staley does the same thing, and the Chargers could be run on. It's the same similar similar defense. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Juro Evero here, it's going to be a little different. Still going to be too deep, but probably more too deep man under, a little less zone. 
Uh, you probably see Ajiro be a little more aggressive, at least with sending people, than Fangio was. But um, you know, overall, I think the, the you know the players are uh, are pretty similar. I think you'll see more multiple fronts. You're probably going to see a, more of an even front, more of a four three look than, than necessarily a three four like you you saw under Fangio or five two like you saw under Fangio. Um, uh, as far as breakout players, I, you know, I don't know. They're, they're really hoping Randy Gregory will be. They paid him all that money. Um, I, I think Draymond Jones probably a national name after this year, um, and then Pat Sertan. I mean, Sertan is absolutely worth it, the, the draft pick they spent on him, and uh, they have they have really high hopes for him this year. Uh, Benjamin, I know that you're dialed in. I learned this one the hard way back in 2015 when I was like, who's this guy, Benjamin Albright, that's uh, breaking <laughs> stories over there? We got off to a little rocky start, but uh, we we, uh, we managed to uh, work our way through it. Uh, so I know that you're plugged in. Um, and I got to ask you about Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, we see so many different... Uh, versions of what discipline might look like uh, from the NFL. And obviously the NFL Players Association is going to have their say uh, in that matter. I would hope for both sides that whatever the penalty is, everybody's on board with it because I think it would be a bad look for the Players Association to fight something uh, given you know the, the nature of, uh, of what he's in trouble for. Um, but your gut feeling on in terms of when we might find out what the penalty is and what the penalty might be. Well, I think we're going to find out after the 4th of July. Um, I, I think it'll be close within that span. We'll see if they delay that at all, but I think it's going to be close within that week after the 4th of July. Um, I think you're probably looking at something that gets then announced as a two-year suspension with one year already served. Uh, there may be some kind of reduction down to eight games. I know that's what the, the Players Association was fighting for. I doubt it gets down that low. I think it probably ends up being 12 games this year, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, but in the end, I, I think that's that's the direction that it's going. I think um, everybody I've talked to kind of feels that, that, that the optics on that make it look okay. Like if we say it's a two-year suspension, but he already did a year because of last year, then everybody kind of gets the best of both worlds in terms of the optics, whether that's an apropos punishment or not. Is there any way, any way at all, Ben, this opens any kind of a door for Baker Mayfield to come back? No, 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 no. Baker's not coming back to the <laughs> Uh, that that uh, that that race Denman ran. Where um, does he end up? I, uh, Carolina or Seattle? Um, uh, Carolina's been had talks for a while, but they've just been hesitant. They tried to force the Browns to eat more of the contract uh, so that they're not because they're on the hook still for Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Donald. Uh, so they're trying to get the Browns to eat more of that contract. Seattle has had some exploratory talks. I don't know if it gets done, uh, but they sort of had some talks, and if they. Uh, um, they, they, if they do get them, they want to have them in before training camp starts, so they can uh, they can hit the ground running. No, oh, that ship has sailed with Baker. That's uh, that's such a strange situation because they're going to have to get used to Jacoby Brissett, and that's not something that you get excited about this time of the year. Uh, Benjamin, thank you again for your time. Uh, great having you on. Really love your work, and uh, we look forward to talking again down the road, man. Absolutely, guys. Take care. All right, All thanks, thank Benjamin. Benjamin Albright, you can follow him on Twitter at Albright NFL. Tremendous reporter. A great reporter. Somebody has a truly locked down. And uh, and I'd have to even think, like, for him, it's probably good that if you're covering a, a team, it's finally good that the ownership uh, has been settled now. Because you, you would you'd go through these fights with the Boland family and the kids, the, the, the blood kids and the non-blood kids were fighting back uh, and forth. forth. Yeah. Like, that was like, it was it was kind of tearing up what was like a like a proud foundation of a, of a, of a team that always had stability. And all of a sudden, there wasn't that. And it's strange to think that how family members did not want to 
take control of that team. That never happens. That's never the case. Yeah, there were also stipulations uh, that, that that the father um, put in place for whoever was going to you know um, follow him. So you <laughs> yep. had that, and so the, all these criteria, and then you had the siblings, like you mentioned. You know, uh, was it two two different moms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you so you had that, and um, it's if when you don't have an established uh, procession plan. Uh, it opens up all sorts of uh, drama, you know, especially when there's multiple uh, kids. I mean, Jerry Buss with the Lakers kind of avoided that um, by by putting, you know, Jeannie um, and uh, and 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 John, I think it was Jimmy, I should say, uh, in charge, um, you know, kind of equally. But then that kind of came, you know, there a fight basically started with that uh, as well. So when you're talking about like the Broncos are iconic when you think about it. They're an iconic franchise in the NFL, uh, along with the Raiders and, you know, just that AFL, AFC West. It's a proud, proud franchise. Uh, And to see some of the dysfunction that came uh, out of that, because there really wasn't an established, this is how we're going to do it, procession plan, uh, it opened the door for uh, a lot of different things. And like you said, um, it's great for the Broncos. It's great for the market. uh, It's great for Bronco fans that um, they, they, it seems to be some stability. However, Benjamin talking about a state, I don't know if you've ever been to Denver. Have you been to Denver? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I, that, that, I, I've spent a month there one night. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it takes a month to drive from the airport to downtown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so if ridiculous. they're thinking about a stadium by the airport, um, I'm my, no, a no vote for Vinny. <laughs> right. A no vote for Vinny. I, I got I to take a pass on that. Yeah, that's, that's just not conducive. You're ruining all the good synergy you might have had when you were downtown, but you know, that's uh, that's something down the road. It obviously is going to take a while for all that to come out. But, you know, for, for what they wanted to do to make changes abruptly, they had, to, they had to definitely fix that defense. And Fangio coming in with all those accolades, it wasn't what they expected. It started out really strong. But by last year, they were giving up tons of rushing yardage. Uh, 160 on the ground to the Raiders. Uh, there were two, 216 to the Eagles, 180 to the Browns. Like uh, that, I'm not saying guys cu- quit, but... When you're giving up that kind of yardage on the ground, Whoa. something, something, something. Um, you're losing might, might faith in your system, yeah. yeah. Because Ed Donatel and, and Fangio, whatever they could, they could not connect. And they're pretty much kind of bringing back the same, you know, very similar pieces on D. But, you know, uh, if they run less zone and more multiple fronts, you're going to see like a defense that's going to be kind of similar to what maybe the philosophies of Patrick Graham's trying to do with the Raiders to try to disguise more stuff and, uh, you know, continue to maybe do like maybe a, a two deep with a man under. Uh, you might see some similarities there. Yeah. And it's all going to it's all going to come out in the wash and it's all going to, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about it but i just i look at these offenses in this division and i i mean you know short of some team having uh the 1985 chicago bears defense i i just i I feel like it's going to be a track meet most weeks uh in that division and you know you're going to have to try to cobble together just enough stops maybe force some turnovers (laughs) in order to win the track meet but you know when you when you cross that finish line whatever sunday you're talking about against whatever opponent you're talking about in the afc west um it's it's pretty much a guarantee you can look to your right as you're crossing the finish line, and, and and he might be, that opponent might be a half an inch behind you. Uh, but as long as you hit that finish line first, um, you win the day. So that's 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 what the focus needs to be. I know that Raider Nation wants to see shutouts and, you know, blowouts in this division. But these offenses are so good that 
Uh, short of some team just having a really just horrible game and a bad day, and that does happen, I, I think these are going to be extremely competitive, extremely high-octane uh, uh, games and high-scoring games. I, I agree. I, I think we should all be kind of ready for that and settling down to uh, the secondaries getting spread as thin as possible. Every team's going to be in the same boat. Here's an interesting question off the Salmon Ash text line, 69187. Uh, after the Russell Wilson trade, which was two first-round picks to Seattle, two second-rounders, a fifth-rounder, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant. The question is, who will they miss the most in the Russ trade? Uh, the, the guys they sent over there, I don't Noah know. Fan, I like Noah Fant. I do, too. I I'm think for tight ends. I'm not sure why that had to ha- uh, be part of the deal. Um but when you when you when you put it uh, you know on paper like that and look at how much it did end up costing them to go get Russell Wilson, what screams back at me is an organization that felt they were a quarterback away from winning the whole thing, yeah. or, or or seriously challenging to win the whole thing. Um, and so when you look at the price that they paid to go get that quarterback, and it obviously had to be the right quarterback too, um, they felt like you know what we're going to bite the bullet because we feel like we're one player away. And we're going to all find out if they were correct in that assessment. Yeah, and it was so difficult for them to evaluate something in the draft. They couldn't find it. But to harken back, to go back to that Peyton Manning era, they were hoping to find, you know, that Was it an era? Yeah. It was, was, was kind of like a, 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 a sneeze is it what it was. It was a sneeze, But yeah. it, it shows you that, like, like let's, let's take the Peyton era out of the equation. They've been looking for a quarterback since John Elway. Am I right? That's right. Decades now. Right? Decades. So they had a stopgap in, in Peyton Manning. For all intents and purposes, um, Russell Wilson could be a, a more extended stopgap because I think he's got more uh, left on the tires mm-hmm. than than Peyton Manning did. Uh, but you know, at the same time, and and he he will open up their window. There's no doubt about it. He's that good, uh, and Raider Nation is going to find that out pretty quick. Um, but. Again, this is just sort of a let's just try to – what we were doing in the draft wasn't working at all. You could go and name them all right on down to Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, you know, it's been just a turnstile at quarterback except for those couple of years with Peyton Manning, and they did win a Super Bowl. Um, credit to them. Uh, but they've been having some trouble trying to figure out quarterback. Oh, big time, especially when they gave all that money to Brock Osweiler, Ugh. the you know, $60, 70000000 million, like, four-year deal. That was just Tim insane. Tebow. Yes, it just uh, Brian Greasy, yeah, they were, and, and Jake Plummer. They were all there, Jake Plummer. and uh, the accolades Rock of gloried uh, Bronco quarterbacks that yeah, they were in and out as soon as possible. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Marcus Johnson is going to join us from SB Nation, SilverAndBlackPride.com. We'll talk about uh, some interesting facts that he found in, uh, through the tape footage, especially something between Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. We'll tell you what he found out coming up next. Hit up the show on Twitter at Clay Baker Radio. And now back to the morning tailgate on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It's a funk Tuesday on the morning tailgate. Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, and you, thank you for being with us here. As let's get it deep into the footage, let's roll the tape with Tape Don't Lies. Marcus Johnson covers the Raiders with SB Nation and silverandblackpride.com. Follow him on Twitter at DMarkJohnNFL. Good morning to you, Marcus. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? 
Hey, great, thank you. I, I got to ask you, um, you know, what, how do you feel Patrick Graham is lining up with this defense, especially what do you think the philosophy is for him on the defensive line? And as last year, it was an area of strength, but do you feel that same way about this group this year? Uh, I don't know if it's, a, it's an area of strength right now, but I think he's creative enough that he's going to make a lot of pressure, especially just having Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. You know, Max Crosby is relentless, so uh, he's going to be coming off that edge uh, with a lot of motor and, you know, he's, with a lot of athleticism, he's got almost every move on his repertoire right now. So he's become more of a technician than, you know, we, we've seen before. So, I mean, he's going to be a unstoppable force. And you got Chandler Jones over there. So, and then when they mix it in with some stunts and some, some different types of pressures that he's going to bring in, they're going to be able to get pressure on the quarterback, I believe. Um, even with the, even with the groups that they have right now, I think they'll still, still be able to get pressure on the quarterback way more than they did last year. Um, and everybody it really gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback, but I think there's a few more uh, better blitzes. Let's say I mean they're okay. gonna blitz a lot more, especially you know Gus Bradley. You know, definitely one of the lowest blitzers every single year. He didn't believe in blitzing like that. So um, they're gonna see a lot more blitzes. You might see a lot more Jonathan Abram blitzing. You might see different players like that. More a lot more uh, Devon Diablo blitzing or little bit of linebacker at the time. Mm. So we're gonna see a lot more of that mixed in with the defensive line. But I, I would expect. Um, letting Chandler Jones and Max Crosby go a lot. Marcus, I'm a little worried, man. All right. All right. I, I need you to help me out here. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I think I'm speaking for Raider Nation uh, when I when I express this anxiety and this concern. You know, Marcus, for the last couple of years, the Raiders have been talking about got to run the ball, got to run the ball, got to run the ball in the red zone, got to be able to establish a run game, got to run the ball effectively, Marcus. And they just haven't been able to figure it out uh, on a consistent basis. Last year, there were some laughable run attempt games. Um, You've been watching the film, especially of the Patriots and obviously of this Raiders group. Uh, Talk me off the ledge in terms of this run game. Tell me through your film analysis that the Raiders are going to be able to cobble together and produce a dependable running game. So I think what's going to be different this year is Josh McDaniels is not going to have a run game that he's going to uh, go to every single week. So I think they're going to do a lot of matchup-based stuff. So, I mean, one game, if they feel like they can run up the middle a lot, we're going to see them running a lot of inside zone and power runs. So, you know, a lot of straight up just knocking people out. You know, a lot of fullback in there. You have to put Jacob Johnson in there and just running over people. You're going to see a lot of that. You might go to a more finesse team. Let's say they're playing the, the Chiefs or somebody like that where it's, they, they want to get on the move, right? They're going to be doing a lot more outside zone. You might see more Josh Jacobs that game. You might see a lot of Josh Jacobs with the running outside zone. You might see more Zamir White with the running uh, power runs up the middle because of something he better he does better. Or you might see Britton Brown doing that or even uh, Bolden because they, you know, they, they come from more power systems but you have Josh Jacobs who's his own guy. So I think they're going to be adaptable. You know, um, I, I think with a lot with Tom Cable, there wasn't a lot of adapting with the run game, and even with John Gruden. I think John Gruden's run game was very, very predictable. Kind of knew when they lined up, he knew exactly what they're going to do. Teams did. I mean, especially by the end of the year, they, they barely could run the ball at the end of the year during the Gruden era. So um, you're going to see a lot more creativity in the run game. Like if, if they have a weak linebacker outside, outside they're going to do tosses until the, until the weak linebacker can make a play. You know, that's, that's the type of thing that Josh McDaniels says. So I think it's going to be more diverse, more adaptable. How does uh, a guy like Josh Jacobs translate into the outside zone game? 
uh, because that sounds like something that you know uh, is required of a running back to immediately uh, take that first step and go instead of uh, stuttering and waiting for for blocks to happen. Uh, the demands for Josh Jacobs are going to be a little different, and it, it appears like you know even Kenyon Drake they're going to have to go and find that adaptability in their game to go and and, and do what Josh is uh, requiring them to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Josh Jacobs he's just a better fit for running outside zone because it, it, it uh, requires more reading, mm-hmm. right, instead of having to be patient and waiting for blocks to develop. So, I mean, the blocks develop on an outside zone, of course, but when you're running outside zone, there's, there's a three-way go. So, you, I mean, you kind of can make a choice earlier based on how the blocks are developing earlier. When a power run, there's only one place you're supposed to go, and you have to wait for those blocks to and have some patience, kind of like Le'Veon Bell used to do with right. the Steelers. Right, have some patience, wait for the blocks to develop, and then go through them. And if you don't have that patience running power, you're just going to be running into people. So with outside zone, that's why he's a better fit there. But, I mean, that's why you have Azimir White. That's why you have Kenyon Drake. So if you do want to run more power, you, you're more diverse in the running back position, and you don't have to put Josh Jacobs in that box because if you try to make him do everything, he's not going to be as effective, and that's when you see, like, the 3.9 yards per carry and stuff like that. And that's when you saw in 2019 when there were pure – basically pure all wide zone he averaged almost five yards a carry so um that's just his fit and some running backs just have a fit and some are you know better than others in different areas all right marcus uh tip of the cap uh on the run game uh you you, you talked me off the ledge and you did it beautifully uh and effectively uh so kudos for that but it's not my only concern marcus johnson uh, I'm also a little, little, little concerned about the cornerbacks. All right, um, and specifically, and more so, it's just I'm not familiar with these guys, uh, Marcus Johnson. That's why uh, bringing you on uh, is such a treat uh, and so valuable uh, for our fans and our listeners because you've done the film study. I want to tell you, I want you to tell us about Rock Yassin, what the Raiders are getting in Rock Yassin, uh, and how uh, he, Anthony Averett, um, and hopefully a healthy Trayvon Mullen can make this work um, in terms of the perimeter cornerbacks? So, so Rocky's seen, uh, he's a press coverage corner. So he's going to be, be great up in somebody's face. And I think same thing with Anthony Averett. So those are both press guys, right? So, which is interesting when you think about it. Okay, are they going to play man? Are they going to play a lot of zone? Because they're bringing guys who are good in press coverage that kind of tells you they might be leaning on playing a lot more man-to-man. Um, than we might be really expecting. So, because that's what Rocky Sin's really good at. He can press coverage, he's, he can he gets in your face, he's physical, he tackles well. So that, that's like his element. His element is getting in somebody's wide receiver's face and uh, getting them off their route, getting them off their stem, getting their hands on him, being really physical because he's a strong guy, a lot of strength. So that's really where his game is at. So if his best reps you'll see on tape are usually in press coverage. You get him up there, um, I, I think he has some good plays against Tyrell Williams, the Raiders fans remember, a couple years, uh, mm-hmm. a couple years back, 2019, his rookie year, we had some good reps and press coverage just for some of the Putin Raiders fans' uh, heads. But Anthony Averett, same way. Uh, what's interesting with Anthony Averett, I think he might be moved inside a little bit, give Nate, allow, allow Nate Hobbs to be moved around, because you can play Anthony Averett like a, as a true slot sometimes and play true slot corner, um, and he can do that. So he can, And he's really good in press, too. Uh, one of the he's actually one of the better press coverage corners on uh, Pro Football Focus. Uh, really, something he's like top ten and something there. So, yep. he's, yeah, he's a good press coverage corner as well. And that's something Trayvon Mullen does really well too. Is play press coverage. So, if you have a bunch of press coverage corners. You think okay, <laughs> well, 
going to play press coverage, but I, I think they, they might be a little more diverse, especially that. And what's interesting about that, I mean, the formula to beat the Chargers right now is to play tight man coverage and blitz. Because a lot of their routes are kind of short and quick. And if you can get in their faces and, and do it like the Ravens and like the Vikings did to them last year. So there might be a formula there that I'm looking at too. Is like, okay, we got to stop the Chargers and the Chiefs. Probably the best way is we got to get in these guys' faces and knock them off. So, you know, everything's about beating those teams, right? And beating the Broncos as well. But so, yeah. And you just brought up a great point, and it leads to my next question because I do think that this is going to be a matchup uh, defense that that can recreate itself on a week to week basis, depending on what the opponent does offensively. You just mentioned with the Chargers, you man them up, you blitz, you get into Justin Herbert's face, and you try to beat him that way. Uh, but you need the personnel to be able to pull that off. Uh, having said that, when you mentioned that Trayvon Mullen and Rocky Yassin and Anthony Averett are good at press coverage, are we saying that they're not so good uh, in zone coverage, or can they, uh, you know, reinvent themselves the following week if that's what's called for? So Trayvon Mullen is good in cover three, which is interesting, right? Uh, they brought in a bunch of cover three guys in the secondary around Patrick Graham. You got Chris Ash comes from uh, Jacksonville, and I believe. Um, Justin uh, Simmons. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he uh, comes from a lot of cover three, too, right? So um, that's the interesting part. Because at the beginning of last year, Trayvon Munlin played pretty well in the cover three system, right? So if they're going to play zone, are they going to play like a disguised cover three? I mean, would they come out too high and they're playing a lot of cover three really later on? Um, you know, I thought it was interesting when they brought in the Titans corner um, because that's, just, that's what the Titans did basically all last year. They played a lot of things. It's called cover three man match. Right. Right. So they, they they started with too high. Here comes Kevin Bayard. He's coming down. It, it, it's a lot of movement that way, and it ends up being cover three. So I think we might see a lot of that in zone because you're right, Vinny. Uh, Rockison, he's not a good zone corner. That's, that's, something, that's why he couldn't really work out in Indianapolis. I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> they didn't play in a lot of press, man. So he didn't work out very well. And same with Anthony Averitt, but you know, he, he really hasn't shown playing zone because they played so much cover zero man in the Ravens. So those are and um, somewhere that those are weaknesses for those two players. But, you know, cover three, you can hide in zone a little bit more than you can like a cover two or cover four. So it'll be interesting. It's Marcus Johnson, SB Nation, silverandblackpride.com, and on his own show on YouTube's at Tape Don't Lie and everywhere you get podcasts. Marcus and B.D. Williams, they undergo, they go through the footage and they find uh, very unique tendencies and nuances, and especially when you see one-on-one matchups between some of the greats uh, with the Raiders. And uh, last week, you had Devontae Adams with Green Bay against Jalen Ramsey of the Rams. What did you uncover there? Uh, that, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to be able to guard him one-on-one. It's going to be fun for uh, Raiders fans. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Bottom line. <laughs> I mean, if Jalen Ramsey struggles with him. Right. Then, exactly. So that's I mean, it's really that's kind of the, the awakening. Which is interesting in that game, uh, I mean, Jalen Ramsey didn't start on him. He didn't start on the game. Really? But so Adams went off a couple times, and here comes Jalen Ramsey moving around with him. So, um, I mean, Ramsey, had, he had his issues. You know, it wasn't an easy matchup for Jalen. Ramsey, so, um, you know, all these guys they brought in um, to, to stop him, it's like Jason Jackson and all those guys, they're going to have trouble with Devontae Adams. I mean, didn't the award have trouble with Devontae Adams? I mean, I just that's mm-hmm. on tape. Like, that's what I learned. I really, really, it's it's going to be fun to watch him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Especially what Joshua Daniels does with him, because you can move him all around. Oh, yeah. He can, whew, 
yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, yeah, he uh, was very excited because he's like, I can be placed anywhere on the field, and I think I could be explosive in this offense. And uh, I love seeing that. Uh, that was a great film study. Hey, Marcus, thanks again for coming on today. Love your work. What are you guys working on this week? Uh, so this week we're doing a little more 2019 review. Uh, we're doing uh, Josh Jacobs and, and Trayvon Mullen. Um, before we did uh, Cleveland Farrell and Jonathan Abram, that's on the, the page. We're doing, so, so we're looking at the 2019 class. Um, so, that, I mean, that's what we're doing this week. And then uh, we just dropped uh, a look at uh, Sue before everything, you know, the rumors kind of died down. We kind of did a look at Sue. And then okay. we talked about the OTAs and Hunter Renfro getting signed. So check that out. That's on, this, uh, that's on YouTube right now. Oh, that's good stuff. Thank you, Marcus. Have a great weekend. All right, thank you, guys. Appreciate Great it. stuff, Marcus. Thank you very much. Buddy. Yeah, I like that. Well, um, you know, I think the it, it it sets up pretty good, especially when you brought up Yassine and Everett, the, and Everett that you know you're good in pass coverage. You're going to be more man to man, though. Uh, and this is what you want to see. That uh, especially when you brought up the example, how do you beat the Chargers? Well, it's time to start getting tight, man, and start right. blitzing. Right. And that's at least a, a formula of like th- trying to find some success there because uh, everything else everyone else has been trying hasn't worked. So go to that. Right. And then, uh, as Marcus po- pointed out, when, when you know it doesn't require that and you have to play more of a zone defense, which you're going to see that uh, with a Patrick Graham defense, that, that cover three um, helps guys that aren't necessarily the best in zone coverage when we're talking mm-hmm. about the cornerbacks. Uh, it helps mitigate that a little bit. So um, uh, really interesting stuff from, from Marcus. And and I do believe that some of the concerns from Raider fans about these cornerbacks is just because you haven't seen them do it for the Raiders. Uh, but there's some skill set and some definite strengths that an Anthony Averett and a, and a Rocky Yassin and a Trayvon Mullen, when utilized correctly, um, can, can, can absolutely bring to the table. And it's just a matter of Raider fans uh, actually seeing that. By the way, you know, talking to Marcus, you know what? I'm, I'm getting hungry. Yes. I'm getting hungry. We're starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel it, and I'm starting to think about, and it's just right around the corner from where we are right now, Via Brazil Steakhouse. Great spot. You know, uh, and I had to ask you, Clay, uh, you're a meat guy. I know Mm -hmm. that. Um, You know how it it works at Via Brazil where you do that full-on Brazilian uh, dinner where every two minutes somebody's coming by with a big carving um, piece of meat. Uh, and hooking you up. What's your what's your go to? What's your favorite? They're all good to me. But oh, I love lamb. I I just Ooh. I just go nuts, especially the way they prepare it there. It's always I don't know how they do it, but it's always like succulent and like you know full of moisture and juices. And it's just you don't get lamb like that just anywhere. But they have it perfectly. They've you know they've been doing it for so long. But uh, everyone else loves the loves the red meat because they love how they they skewer the the steaks. Everything is always cooked so perfectly. But for me, it's it, it's a little rough because um, they have these gigantic, bountiful salad bars, and yes. you know what I mean. So you can like, eat a whole dinner there. I have to stop myself. I need somebody there to be like Clay. Don't forget the lamb. Right, exactly. Uh, I like the tri tip. I like the ribs. Um, they have this sweet chicken. Have you t- tasted the sweet chicken? I remember that. Yes. Oh, it's so it's 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 so good. Uh, they have empanadas, which they're really pushing right now. And uh, the reason we're talking about via Brazil is because it's so good. Uh, they're located uh, over. We're at 1225 South Fort Apache Road uh, here in Las Vegas. Uh, they call it the Fort Apache Commons, um, for those of you who are familiar with the, with the area. Uh, they open at 5 o'clock, and then it's uh, till basically whenever. They've got a great bar scene. Uh, the, the salad bar is to die for. Like I said, you could just go there and, and, and hook yourself <laughs> up so with that. But, but if you're going to Via Brazil, why do that? Why not? You know, uh, we were, I was talking to the waiter there last week. He's like, you know, we've had some vegans come in. I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself? Like, 
Not that I'm knocking being a vegan whatsoever, but why come here? Uh, it just defeats the whole purpose. Uh, so they've got you covered with everything uh, via Brazil Steakhouse. I love it uh, over at uh, 12, 12, or, uh, 1225 South Fort Apache Road here in Las Vegas. Go check it out. The grill is still sizzling and the drinks are cold. So let's get back to your morning tailgate with Clay Baker on RNR 920 AM. Thanks again for tuning in today. Appreciate it. Listening on the Raiders app, lvsportsnetwork.com. All that and more here on RNR 920. Uh, here's a question from the text line. Uh, Vinny, you, got, you talked about the uh, the run game. Uh, who do you think is best faceted for the inside zone? You guys talked about outside zone. What about inside zone? Um, you know what? I, I think if, if you have an offensive line that's really getting that kind of push, uh, all, all those backs can do very, very good on the inside zone, and especially a guy like Josh Jacobs. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, he's more uh, of, of that outside zone guy. Um, Marcus brought up Brandon Bolden. Uh, Kenyon Drake uh, can, can do that as well. Um, he brought up Zamir White. My my only um, you know uh, question about Zamir White is you know when when the rosters go down to forty six, can you keep an extra running back uh, in that regard if everybody's healthy? Sure. So I'm wondering where Zamir White's uh, opportunities are going to come. And that's nothing against Zamir White. It's just a numbers game at this point. Um, and and you know the Raiders I think as long as everybody stays healthy can really bring him along uh, for for a payoff at, at uh, future use. But Again, um, you know this 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 offense and this philosophy with with Josh Jacobs and and everyone that's that's a part of this. A lot of it is going to be really situational. So um, having a Zamir White who might not, you know, uh, maybe you don't need him against a team like Kansas City where you're going to run that outside zone uh, and be able to, uh, to to get it done that way. Maybe you are playing a team the next week where, you know what, uh, there's a lot of opportunities right up the gut, you know, running it straight ahead uh, between the guards um, uh, and inside, and maybe that's a game where Zamir White dresses out. So okay. you're going to see – um, I think anyway, uh, I don't think you're going to be, I don't think that 46 is going to be uh, in cement. I think that you're going to see fluctuation from game to game. Now, obviously, when guys are banged up and you can't put them on the IR, you sometimes have to use that little uh, uh, tool uh, to be able to get a guy through a couple of weeks. But when you're talking about strategically and building your roster to fit the opponent, I think there's going to be some flexibility in terms of how they use that roster. So you might see a guy dress out one game and not for the next game, the next couple of games, because somebody else does something that they need against that specific opponent better. Uh, I agree, and I think uh, that is something I think you'd have to get used to. I think we're all going to find out a little more, but, but I think that might be the best way, especially if you really want that matchup-based run game. Uh, the Raiders actually have that kind of depth to work on that, so that'll be interesting to find out. Hey, thanks again for everybody for listening. Our podcast up at lvsportsnetwork.com, iTunes, Audible, Amazon, and more here on Raider Nation Radio. See you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Rich Eisen's next here on Raider Nation Radio. Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.